Hey, you ready? Hey, grab that right there. <laughs> Are you ready? Hey. Is you ready? Ready? You say you ready? Oh. Whole squad ready? Ready? Is you ready? Huh? Are you ready? Ready? Is you ready? Whole squad ready? We came here to see Jet. What's hey y'all, welcome to a five-week episode of the Quackback Block Show. Uh, I'm your host, Joseph Young, and uh, my co-host, Tom, Mr. Tom Gillis. How you doing, Tom? Wait, Joseph, this is a yes. bi-weekly show now? The bi-week. <laughs> oh, it's a, okay. That makes sense. I'm just okay. kidding. I knew it was a bi-week. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're heavily favored against bi-week this week. Heavily favored? Surprisingly. S&P Plus has us with 100% chance of victory. Yeah. So this past weekend, Oregon played Stanford on the road. So they came away with a 21-6 victory. What do you think of the game, Tom? Um, it was it was a little ho hum for me, actually. Um, aside from a few few big plays, I think the most exciting thing was uh, watching our punter consistently punt 45, 50 yards. Yeah, the he he's been doing really well this year. Yeah. So that part of special teams is covered, thankfully. <laughs> I don't think we had a run of more than 10 yards and Justin Herbert making safe throws to open receivers. I mean, I'm glad we won, but nothing really blew me away. Yeah, the the defense did pretty well. They came up with a bunch of sacks on KJ Costello, thanks to Stanford's uh, replacement left tackle, who was a true freshman making his third start or second start, I believe, this season. So I think the Andy Avalos took advantage of that fact and sent all the pressures that way. And they can the offensive line as a whole can cope with it. That's true. Our defensive front seven were wreaking havoc pretty much all game. Yeah. Uh, one defender that stood out to me was Lamar Winston. And speaking of standouts in the defense, one of our defenders tweeted out today, it's Jevion Holland, not Jevin or Jovan or Javon, but Jevion yeah. Holland. I've been saying it wrong this whole time. Yeah, <laughs> apparently we have been too. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, yeah, what do, you, what do you think the offense failed for the most part in that game? Um, I would say overall creativity. I want to see us utilize our vast array of running backs. And I want to see Justin Herbert start pulling it down and running with it a little bit more. Um, not all the time, but, you know, maybe once or twice just to keep the, uh, the defense honest. But where do you think our offense failed? I think where it's been a consistent thing for this season where the Marcus Arreo calls run plays to a certain side and doesn't take advantage of the of the back side of the play where we can do some damage on counters and misdirection plays. And I agree with you that Harbor needs to keep the ones because those plays are wide, wide open. The Athletic ran an article recently about how Ducks fans are actually overreacting to the simplicity of the mm -hmm. offense and how it's actually deceptively aggressive, where 
me as a fan, I would say I want it to be more overtly aggressive. You know, um, mm-hmm. give us something to be inspired by. Yeah, it's a. Uh, I think there's subtle subtleties here and there, but yeah, I agree with you. I would like to see more aggressiveness. I'm not saying you know be aggressive like Chip Kelly was back in the day, but show something. You know, um, to keep defenses honest so they don't have to target a certain side of the field where it's easy for him make it hard yeah it seems like every running play from the second half of the third quarter on was just running cj verdell down the backside of either a guard or a tackle for four yards yeah in the passing game there was some creativity uh, a couple of the breland touchdowns were fake screens to the screener and was left wide open on wheel routes, so that was pretty creative of Arroyo. He's improved a lot in the passing game this year. Yeah, I'm excited to see what he does with uh, Micah Pittman, who is uh, who's day-to-day. Um, I think he was out practicing with a non-contact jersey this week. And Juwan Johnson, who's hopefully going to be back in time for the Cal game, um, and see what he can do with those two really talented wide receivers. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Jawan Johnson is like the most mysterious man in the world to us Oregon fans at this point. Yeah, he was supposed to come in and be the most experienced receiver we had and be a leader on the offense, and we just haven't seen him. Also, I read a stat uh, somewhere on Twitter um, where Oregon led led the FBS last year in drops with like 52 or so, and they're, they're on pace for a lot more this year. I think they have... 11 so far so that's something that we need to work on during the bye week but overall they haven't been you know like game changing critical drops it's just drops here and there so it's not it's not as bad as it was last season thankfully what do you think of the new receivers coach this season he's improved the he's improved the receiving room a lot compared to last year so he needs a raise i think <laughs> To wrap up our, our thoughts on the Stanford game, I think I think we would have liked to see more points scored, but it, the defense stepped up really well to con- contain a not powerful Cardinal offense per se, but they uh, the Cardinal made it interesting, I think, for a little bit there before the defense stepped up and shut things down. So do you have any final thoughts for this game? We really should have just laid the wood to Stanford, you know, pun perfectly intended, and scored as many points as we could. We didn't do a good job of proving that we were an elite team this week. Um, we came out, yeah. and we got an early lead, and we just held on. And I was really hoping that we would start playing football in a way that we just want to score as many points as we can. And we didn't seem to want to yeah. do that this week. We just wanted to come in and win and mm-hmm. get out. Yeah. And if we don't start racking up points then we're not going to know how to do that once the time comes. I think of the UCLA-Washington State game, and there were lots of points scored in that game. And when we play Washington State, we'll probably have to score a lot of points. And at this point, I don't know if we know how to do that yet. Mm-hmm. Speaking of which, the the Washington State game against UCLA was... Uh... <laughs> It was very interesting in the second half, I'll say, and over almost over time. Uh, many people turned it off, I think, during during the halftime break. But uh, 
UCLA somehow stormed back and won the game. So what'd you think of it? Um, honestly, I went to bed after it was seven to seven <laughs> uh, in the first quarter. Uh, I almost got up I, a couple of times when a friend of mine was texting me, what's going on with the UCLA game? And can you believe Washington State right now? And yeah. <laughs> I, the bit of my curiosity was wanting me to get up and, and go check it out. But I thought to myself, no, nah, it's probably just comments on ineptitude. But boy, was I wrong. Yeah, uh, most people turned it off after it was like 49 to 17. So I think most people turned it off thinking, oh, it was going to be another easy win. But somehow UCLA clawed their way back. Chip Kelly was like, what are you what are you doing? What are you doing offense? And he just like turned around and didn't want to see the play until until it actually worked out for the gaming touchdown. So it was like one of those, oh, no, 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 yes, yes type of plays. <laughs> <laughs> if there's yeah, one thing Chip Kelly knows how to do, it's those type of plays. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it was one of, another classic Pac-12 after dark game, I'll say. So Friday night, there was a, there was a game between Pac-12 South rivals, uh, USC and Utah, where USC pulled away a little bit there at the end, where Utah just couldn't muster any offense after their star running back, Zach Moss, went out with injury. So did you watch that game? I watched most of it. I was really impressed with Matt Fink coming in and taking over for uh, Keaton mm-hmm. Slovis when he went out. I think it was uh, uh, Richard Johnson on PAPN this week mentioned that USC has like an inverse depth chart. They've been holding it upside down the whole time. And the further down the depth chart they go, the better the players get. Um, yeah. <laughs> and he said that as soon as Matt Fink came in the game, uh, it's like Clay Helton just started drawing up plays for 50-50 balls and said, screw it, let's just go after it. And there were lots of big plays and uh, a few not-so-big plays. But, yeah, it was a lot more fun to watch, I think, than if, if Slovis or JT Daniels were in the game. Utah didn't look inept, but you could definitely tell that the wind from their sails was gone after Zach Moss left the game but overall I thought it was a very entertaining game Uh, I also really enjoyed seeing uh, Reggie Bush back in the Coliseum and how at almost every opportunity he had he he let people know that he was back Uh, I remember specifically the uh, the rushing touchdown where the receiver was flagged for celebration after handing the game ball to Reggie Bush yeah that was classic the NCA is very inept, I'll say, at their investigating their cases. <laughs> uh, they shouldn't have permanently banned Reggie Bush. I think, I think uh, this this time is he's uh, he's technically served has been enough against him. Yeah, I'll just say the NCA is very inept at, at their at their job. Well, in, inept and inconsistent, I'll say. <clears throat> Speaking of crazy endings, did you happen to catch the Ole Miss versus Cal game? That was a wild finish. <laughs> oh my gosh, that was that was Pac-12 after dark at 12:30 in the afternoon. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, mistake number one was Ole Miss letting the Pac-12 refs on the field. It was a crazy sequence of hurry up, run it in for touchdown. Wait, we didn't get enough hurry up, run it in for a touchdown, got stopped again. And I was disappointed that the refs didn't 
stop gameplay to review the the first attempt. Um, I don't think it was in, but I definitely think that they should have uh, made an attempt to verify that at least. Um, did you think it was in, Joseph? Um, I I don't think it was in, but it was really tight. Once you look at the uh, the sideline shot of it, the the body of the player was in the end zone, but the ball was barely barely out from touching the um touching the line. So as we all know, if the ball crosses the plane at any point, it's automatic touchdown. It it was really too tight to call, and they should have reviewed that. I gotta hand it to Cal's D. Their their defense mm-hmm. looked really good this game. Yeah, and Old Miss was also a, mostly at fault too because they because of the way they called their plays and did their game management. They didn't have a timeout call at the end of the game. That way they could make sure that the touchdown was verified or upheld and given a chance to drop a better play rather than just half-assed running attempt mm-hmm. in the same hole. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yes, the Cal's defense was it was played uh, played pretty well given all the injuries they had, and Evan Weaver was a one man tackling show. Again, he had like twenty three tackles in this game, I believe. So he's basically playing one on eleven and still making every tackle. It seems <laughs> like so. Yeah, he's gonna be one to watch for next week when we play them. The Pac-12 had lots of crazy endings this week, this past weekend including Colorado and Arizona State, where Arizona State had the ball per- late, and Colorado took over on downs and just ran the clock out. What did you think of that game? I lost interest in that game shortly after LaVisca Chenault went out. I thought that uh, without one of their key players, they wouldn't be able to keep up with Arizona State offensively. But I was wrong. I was delightfully surprised uh, that Tony Brown stepped up and filled the LaVisca role quite nicely. He's a transfer from Texas Tech, I believe, and showed that he knows how to, how to stretch the field in an air raid system, even though I don't think that, that Mel Tucker runs uh, an air raid system. But he was playing like he was the, the primary receiver the whole season. Um, yeah. uh, a fun fact about this game is that uh, Mel Tucker is now undefeated while wearing shorts. Yeah, I saw that stat. I was like, okay. That's going to be interesting when he wears shorts in uh, November when it's like 10 degrees outside, but we'll see. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so when I saw this game and when I saw LaVisca Chenault go down, I thought, man, the Pac-12 South is really in trouble if Colorado loses one of its best players and, and USC is inconsistent and UCLA is... Uh, not bad at best. I don't know. What do you think about uh, the state of the Pac-12 South? I think it's um, it's not as bad as the ACC Coastal, but it, it's a pretty good comparison to make because it's all jumbled up, and who knows who knows is going to end up winning that division. Entering the season, I was favoring Utah because their defense, but now their offense is inconsistent. Who knows? Maybe USC puts it all together and wins it in the end, but it's going to be really close, I think. So who do you think wins the South? Um, I had Colorado winning the South at the beginning of the season. If LaVisca is is out, that's, ah, man. Um, I have a hard time seeing him win. It's going to come down to the game with Utah. And I think if 
LaVisca is healthy and comes back soon, then Colorado takes it. But I agree with you. Um, Utah's defense, when they're, when they're on, they're practically unstoppable. Yeah, I think that wraps up the Pac-12 recap segment. Uh, there were a couple of big-time national matchups, including Notre Dame and Georgia, uh, highlighting the uh, doubleheader for CBS. And wow. Georgia ultimately won. Uh, it, as we predicted, it was closer than the 14-point spread. I think it was 7 or 8, I believe it was, that Georgia won by. But it was a fairly good game that came on at the same time as Oregon game. But what did you think of it? Uh, well, it was my my flipping back and forth game uh, mm-hmm. that, that evening. Um, as a person who is uh, otherwise vested in Georgia to be successful this year and a lifelong Notre Dame fan, I enjoyed it for the event. Um, I hear a lot of people saying that it was boring. It was boring to watch. I actually rather enjoyed it. I thought it was pretty uh, dramatic. But uh, what did you think? It was a fairly close defensive struggle until Georgia ultimately out-talented Notre Dame. Georgia almost cost themselves near the end after punting, shanking the punt, and um, giving Notre Dame good field position to get on and tie. And um, so Georgia got away with one there, I'll say. I, I believe they should have gone for that fourth, and I think it was like one or two. They should have went for it and iced the game away. but. I don't know. I guess Kirby relied on his defense to win it for him, which I they did. I was kind of rooting for a fake punt yeah. again. Yeah, it's uh, there were some creative play calls in that game for sure. And also, there was a picture of the stadium, Sanford Stadium, all bathed in all red light. That was that was kind of fun to look at. Yeah, it's pretty cool what they can do with those nowadays. Uh, I heard that they were gonna they had some sort of light show planned for the Notre Dame game. I definitely wasn't expecting the whole stadium to go up in red. That was pretty cool. I can imagine I can imagine as soon as Uncle Phil saw that, he says, All right, we need to get odds in an all green. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Stay tuned. Like folks. come out you know, like come out have the duck come out to uh like a wrestling theme or something. <laughs> like the Undertaker. <laughs> I don't know. I think Joker and the Thief is pretty substantial for an oncoming song. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Also, another game I kept on kept an eye on early was LSU and Vanderbilt, and because of the prospects in it for each team. But I'm continuing to be surprised by LSU's offense. They put up sixty some points against Vanderbilt, and it's Vanderbilt, but it's still a quality SEC opponent. So I'm really surprised by that. And Joe Burrow is a legitimate Heisman contender, I believe. Joe Burrow, after this last weekend, is statistically the second best quarterback in NCAA. The first is a little bit skewed, uh, Anthony Gordon, the Washington State quarterback, who did end up throwing nine touchdowns last weekend alone. But right now, currently statistically outperforming uh, Tua. Yeah. So we'll see how LSU fares against Bama later on in November. Because Burrow has been touted as like a high first round pick after his start to this season. So we'll see how all that shakes out. <clears throat> uh, I wouldn't put him uh, as a high first round pick, but he's definitely going to be playing on Sundays and probably starting. Yeah. 
Yeah, in the uh, well, in the 9 a.m. section of the Saturday, the, there's one game I kept an eye on was uh, Wisconsin versus Michigan, and Wisconsin just took Michigan to the woodshed, and it wasn't close as the scoreline indicated. And Jonathan Taylor, the Heisen frontrunner for um, for Wisconsin, ran for like a hundred something yards before halftime before he went out with injuries. So Michigan's in a world of trouble. I want to believe in Harbaugh. I saw what he did at Stanford. I saw what he did with the 49ers. And I was really excited when he came into Michigan because I was a Michigan fan growing up. And up until last week, I was a Jim Harbaugh defender. And I said, wait till he gets his guys in. These are easy mistakes that we will fix next time. But it's getting harder and harder and harder for me. And man, I think this game pushed me over the edge. I don't know what happened to Harbaugh. He has great players and he has great coordinators. We just are plagued with turnovers. It's hard to win a game when you're giving the ball away four or five times a game. And one of the things about this game is that I feel bad about Wisconsin because after this game, all anybody could talk about was the ineptitude of Michigan. I mean, there were some pretty cool things that happened in this game. Yeah. Jonathan Taylor ran for over 200 yards on only 26 carries, and Wisconsin lined up in some really creative formations with nine linemen in their their big jumbo sets. And, like, nobody's talking about Wisconsin in this game. All they can talk about is how bad Michigan is. And I just want to give a shout-out. Wisconsin, you played an awesome game. I didn't think you had it in you, but you did. That was pretty cool. Yeah, Wisconsin, we all know what Wisconsin is at this point. Every year, they just line up and run the ball. It seems like nobody can stop it every year, even though we all know what's coming. It's just those linemen they have every single year get drafted, and it's all our cycle all over again. And they're, I guess they're one of the most consistent things about college football. Yeah, there are a couple of upsets this, this past weekend as well, including um, Pittsburgh upsetting the the defending national champion Central Florida <laughs> on uh, game-winning goal line play. They call the uh, Pitt special now <laughs> instead of Philly special. <laughs> Thank God for that. Man, I love rooting for the underdog. Um, I kind of share the feeling of, you know, you're going to be a good, then you should deserve the attention. But this, the way Central Florida has handled themselves over the last year and a half, it's just been grating. And yeah. <laughs> now that they've lost and their one marquee matchup this year turned out to be a dud, they were a legit chance to make at least a New Year's Six game. But now we don't, we don't that's a non starter. Now that they've lost the pit. Yeah. There's no need to have that conversation. Um, and right now, Boise State's the best shot that a, a power five or a group of five have to get in. And even then, like, that's not looking good for them just because of their schedule. Mm-hmm. But thank you, Pittsburgh, for giving us the freedom to not have to talk about them anymore. Yeah. <laughs> it seems like every good team loses a Pittsburgh every year for some unknown reason. <laughs> They're, they have a habit of doing that. They beat Clemson, and a year before that, they beat Miami and to determine who won the ACC Coastal, and it's crazy how they can do that every year. 
The shutdown forecast guys call that the pit super weapon. And yeah, it's they just spend all this time charging up their their Death Star like cannon and it just goes off at one game. They tried firing it at Penn State, but there was a misfire and so they had Central Florida was the, the next victim. Yeah, another game we almost had uh, Old Dominion become the state champions of Virginia, but Virginia pulled it out in the end. Yeah, how about that? That's another school that podcast ain't played nobody is really high on Old Dominion. Uh, they said that as soon as yeah. Old Dominion went from FCS to FBS, that they were going to be good. Apparently, a lot of talent comes from the Old Dominion area in the state of Virginia. Um, yeah, the that's DMV. Where, that's where uh, I think uh, Michael and Marcus Vick were from, and all of the, the Fuller brothers, the Fuller family brothers, cousins, uh, they're all there. Uh, there's another big name. The, the Longs. <laughs> yeah, the Longs, they're all from that area. And so if Old Dominion can rein those guys in, they're going to be really good. Probably not Boise State good, but they'll be really good. Yeah, it's a, it was an interesting week of college football last weekend. A couple of upsets here and there, but it was mostly chalk. I did a few games that stuck out to me. Uh, the BYU Washington game. We didn't touch on that in our Pac-12 recap, but yeah, I thought Jacob Eason finally looked like the Jacob Eason that I saw in Georgia. Uh, mm-hmm. That was he's he's the guy that I was really nervous about coming into the season. Um, and the first couple of games, I'm like, well, maybe I didn't have that much to be nervous about. But he's he really looked good uh, during that game. Uh, I think Washington is now back kind of on my my sweat list of teams to be nervous about. Um, oh, SMU-TCU. You, uh, you know the name of this rivalry? Um, it has Dallas or Fort Worth in it, uh, I, if I can recall. It is the Iron Skillet, the battle for the Iron Skillet. Oh, okay. And lore has it that during... Uh, an SMU game back uh, just after World War II, someone was picking up fro- uh, frog legs in the parking lot or the tailgate as kind of a, like an insult to the horn frogs of TCU. From that, from that day on, it was the iron skillet battle. The way back in the day of uh, Davey O'Brien and Sammy Ball, way before our times. <laughs> and even though that they're no longer in the same conference, They've still managed to play this game every single year, at least since 2007. Yeah, one of the best. It's one of the best off-the-radar rivalry games, in my opinion. I, I really like what Sonny Dykes is doing there at SMU. He's got a, a wild and fun offense. Yeah, I think that they're going to be able to give teams like, like Memphis and they don't play UCF, but they do play USF. Uh, teams like Memphis and Navy and Tulane, they're all going to give them a run for their money. Yeah, Sonny Ducks is a good head coach when he has his guys in his system. Jalen Rieger only had two catches. Um, so yeah. They're doing a really good job at their defense of keeping opponents' receivers in check, at least. SMU upset TCU to remain undefeated. Go Stangs. Yeah, they've been hanging around a little bit ever since they came back in the early to mid-2000s. 
Yeah, I don't think any school will get the death penalty anytime soon after the NCAA saw what it did to SMU. Oh, we didn't touch on uh, Auburn or Texas A&M. Yeah, that was another game I've, I was flipping back and forth. But I think Auburn Auburn ran away with it, and A&M can, just can do anything on offense. Auburn just dominated on their defense. I'm slowly losing interest in Kellen Mond. Uh, yeah. He's looking very okay. Um, I would say competent. He can run the system, but I don't. I wouldn't count on him to make any big plays on his own. Um, he's one that's really just held up there, literally and figuratively, by his offensive line and the play of his wide receivers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's yeah. just the A and M fans are turning on Jimbo already in year two, <laughs> and he's he has so many seasons left on his contract, fully guaranteed. Yeah, so it's going to be interesting how he does. Final score of the game was 28-20, and it wasn't even that close. Uh, up until halfway through the fourth quarter, Auburn had a 28-10 lead, and I think they just took the foot off the gas. Jatavius Whitlow just ran all over the place, along with having one of the best nicknames. Uh, Booby. Booby Whitlow. <laughs> yeah. Um, he, can, he can power. He can run. He can go. Um, and he's also really good in pass protection. Say, if I were to tell you in this game that one quarterback threw for 100 yards and one touchdown, and the other quarterback threw for 335 yards and two touchdowns, which quarterback would you tell me won the game? I would say the one with the more yards. I would too, but no, Bo Nix only threw for 100 yards and one touchdown and still was able to come out on top. So that wraps up our national spotlight of last week. Now on to our uh, What's Willie Doing segment of the week. <laughs> what is Willie so, uh, doing? Oh, he's winning he's games. Hydrating. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he, he, barely, he barely won one against, uh, against, Louisville that, uh, against the Louisville team that didn't do so well. Yeah, Florida State does well in the first half, but in the second half, they just completely melt down and allow Louisville back in it. They pull it out in the end, but it's it's concerning if you're a Florida State fan. After going up 21-0, Louisville scored 28 unanswered points, including a wild 74-yard touchdown throw that was probably 55 yards in the air and then 10 yards of being bobbled before he finally pulled it in. And um, they, they tried losing that game. They yeah. did try. Aguayo missed three field goals. What do you think Willie's doing? Um, uh, it's, it's, I don't know what he's doing, really. It's, um, he got a lucky break where uh, um, Alex Hornibrook, the former Wisconsin quarterback, transferred there and won the game for him because – Unfortunately, James Blackman got hurt, and I don't think he's able to go this week. So we'll be seeing Alex Hornerbrook Brook uh, this weekend against North Carolina State. So we'll see how that turns out. Uh, what do you think about uh, Blackman going down? Uh, I think it's going to be interesting if he can win back his job if Hornerbrook Hornibrook does well. But I think Blackman's an unquestioned starter, but um, he has some issues he needs to work on. So. We'll see. So, are there any are there any notable games you're keeping an eye on this coming weekend? 
The game of the week for me is Mississippi State and Auburn. After losing to Auburn the first week, I, as a Ducks fan, am rooting for Auburn every week. And Mississippi State uh, has been showing flashes of brilliance lately. I think Auburn's going to win this game, but they're going to have a difficult time doing it uh, against Mississippi's yeah. defense. But Mississippi is on their backup quarterback. But yeah. if recent trends prevail, backup quarterbacks don't really mean anything these days. I mean, you look at yeah. Florida State that we just mentioned and uh, USC. Uh, I've got a few yeah, other one. games that I'm looking forward to, but what are, mm-hmm. what are, what's your game of the week? The one out-of-conference game, um, the one that I'm looking forward to is Virginia and Notre Dame. So I think Virginia, speaking of Virginia, I think they were looking ahead to this one. So they struggled a little bit against Old Dominion. So uh, we'll see how Notre Dame bounces back against a pretty good team this weekend. Yeah. yeah the rest yeah, the rest of the games on my list are in, in conference and Pac-12, such as uh, Friday, the Friday night game, Arizona State and Cal. I think that'll be another weird one. We'll see. <laughs> yeah, that's the Friday edition of Pac-12 After Dark. Yeah, Cal's defense is good. Arizona State is can be really good and can accidentally win a game against Michigan State. So we'll see which team shows up this week. Yeah, I mean, uh, we'll see how uh, the true freshman quarterback for Arizona State does. Jaden Daniels against that against the Cal defense. Friday night, I'll probably be watching the Penn State Maryland game. Um, yeah, that's probably going to be one of the better games of the week. Maryland is frustrating. Uh, they were the yeah. the best offense in the nation after the first two weeks, and then the wheels fell off. It's going to be interesting to see if Penn State can get over its pit hangover. I think that this is one of the games where it's unfortunate that Maryland, I feel like Maryland's going to kind of be the whipping boy uh, for the Penn State near loss, where mm-hmm. they just come out and say, we need to prove to the world that we can come out and score points. And yeah. it's going to be against Maryland. And if Maryland comes out and is the Maryland of the beginning of the season, then it's going to be a exciting game and probably rival last week's UCLA-Washington State game as far as points are concerned. Yeah. And Maryland has a really good running back uh, named Anthony McFarland Jr. So he's a really good draft prospect. So I'll I'll keep an eye on him, and Arizona State has a has a really impressive receiver named Brandon Ayuk. He's caught a lot of eyes in the scouting community. So we'll see how he does against the um, Cal's Ashton Davis, the very good safety. So it's going to be an interesting matchup on Friday. Yeah, and uh, speaking of future Duck opponents. Uh, USC and Washington are matching up this weekend in the uh, 12.30 slot on Saturday afternoon. So that's going to be a good one to keep an eye on for scouting purposes. Um, yeah, and I think it's going to be really fun to watch in general, especially if um, if Helton is doing his, his fun-and-gun uh, version of the air raid that he played against Utah. Mm-hmm. And if if Eason is actually in his stride and can step up and control the control the game, uh, it's going to be a pretty ridiculous game. I think Washington sneaks it out at the end. 
Mm, I'm going to have to say I believe in UC <laughs> on this one, probably because of the receivers. But, you know, now that I said that yeah. out loud, USC does have more offensive weapons. But, oh, uh, man, this is a tough one. Yeah. Uh, you know what? I'm going to go Washington. I'll go with you on this one. <laughs> you talked me into it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just uh, Washington has a lot has their standout corner Miles Bryant back there in their secondary. So, and another guy who should have been a duck Elijah Molden. It's going to be interesting how their secondary matches up against USC's talented receiver course. So, uh, another future opponent, the Oregon State and Stanford are matching up this weekend. So we'll see how Stanford does against Little Brother. I don't know. I don't know if Stanford bounces back. Even though Oregon State is really talented, their defense isn't much, but their offense is very, very talented. Going into the season, people were saying how Oregon State's defense is the more improved, was the more improved side of the ball. But they've proven they can score points. The fewest points they've had so far this year is 28 against Hawaii. And Mm -hmm. last game showed that you can score 28 points and beat Stanford. for me, Stanford just has way too many questions um, yeah. on offense and on defense. I still think they win this game, but Oregon State's going to look good. Yeah. So I think that wraps up all the all the notable games from this coming weekend. So then, now that Oregon is on their bye week, uh, what are your, what's your quick summary of the past four games for the Ducks? Um, wait, before we move on, I want to give my uh, my upset watch of the week. I have a a, a one and two Purdue going into a three and zero Minnesota. Uh, Minnesota's favored oh. by a point and a half in this game, but I think that Purdue has enough weapons mm-hmm. to overcome that. So if you're a betting man okay. or woman, if you can bet Purdue with Minnesota being favored, I'd take that. Yeah, it's we'll see how Purdue does against the very inconsistent Minnesota team. So now that Oregon is on their bye week after four games, what do you think of the season so far? Just give us a quick summary. Quick summary. Uh, encouraged but not impressed. Uh, mm-hmm. I want to see our team with all of our receivers back and scoring more points, but I can't say that I'm too surprised by the results of the games. I knew that Auburn was going to be really good. Uh, I was trying to talk people off the ledge before the season even started, saying, look, we're going to lose the, the Auburn, but then we're going to go undefeated the rest of the season. Um, if you can just stay on board after the first game, we'll be fine. But so far, we're winning games, but we're not doing it as impressively as I would like. What are your initial impressions on the game so far? Um... Yeah, I was looking at the analytics. The numbers are really surprising. The Ducks are at a 50-50 pass-a-run balance, so that was kind of surprising given the lack of consistency in the run game and uh, this outstanding pass game that we've been having. It'll be interesting if that changes going forward against stronger opponents. And I was, I'm really impressed by the freshmen that have been stepping up such as uh, Josh Delgado and Mace Funa. And and Funa actually leads the team in sacks, believe it or not. So I'll believe it. These freshmen are stepping up, so that's that's really good to see. 
Also, uh, the one of the weaker things is the inconsistencies of the offensive line. Well, I don't know if it's just um, Jake Hansen going out with an injury and Brady Aiello not doing so well as a right tackle, but it, the incons- inconsistencies of the offensive line is um, is concerning, to say the least. So what were your thoughts on some of the um, things that, are, that aren't going so well? I mean, I feel like that horse has been beaten. Um, yeah. <laughs> play calling and yeah play calling and injuries those are my my two big ones uh, i do have some fun numbers though that are encouraging mm-hmm. uh, football outsiders and uh, sp plus and fei all have ducks ranked in the top 13 um and offense defense and overall which is encouraging let's see we are currently third in the run stuff rate among Power 5 teams. What that means is that it's the percentage of carries that are stopped at or behind the line of scrimmage. Uh, We're behind only Ohio State and Georgia, which have probably the best overall defenses in the league. Um, So that makes me really Mm -hmm. encouraged about our run defense. Yeah. (laughs) So Andy Avalos is doing something right. So now it's uh, everyone's favorite segment, the Q&A, the quack and answers. And bonus points to the listeners who can get us the theme song for this segment. <laughs> you may win a prize. Prize is not fabulous. Yes. <laughs> From Addicted to Quack. And our first question is asked by Gonna Get Better. Uh, he asks, what is your favorite beer? I have only had one beer that I have dreamed about drinking again, and that was a beer from Vermont. I believe it was Vermont. Um, it was called Heady Topper. Man, it was smooth. It was delicious. I'd have to admit that I don't drink beer anymore. You drink beer any less? No, I don't. I've cut it off completely due to certain issues medically. What was your favorite beer? My, I would have to say Bud Light. <laughs> we can tell you're not from Oregon, Joseph. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, any beer that's free is my favorite. <laughs> mm, free beer. Yeah. Yes. There's, a, there's an old saying that the three best beers in the world are in order. The one you're having, the one you just had, and the one you're going to have. That makes sense. <laughs> okay, moving on to our next question. Uh, should have been duck. Should have been a duck. Asked, does your NCAA 14 simulation have us finally getting the W against by this week? I believe so. Yes. After many years of trying, yes, the ducks will finally beat by week. <laughs> yes. And he also asks, do you make Herbert keep it on the read option? Why, yes, I do. I employ zone read concepts very liberally throughout my games to the best utilize Herbert's athleticism. Okay, moving on to the next question. Um, this is kind of a personal question uh, from Should Have Been a Duck again. If you could devote your time to bettering humanity rather than waxing a sports, what would you do? Yeah, it's a rather deep question. Um, 
I guess I would try to end childhood hunger as my main cause. And probably trying to solve, get world peace going on, but that's really unsolvable at this point, one, one would think. Um, I would probably do something along the lines of um, wildfire prevention. I know it's not uh, a big, popular, sexy topic to do, but for some reason, mm -hmm. I just find myself really passionate about preventing wildfires and education and mm -hmm. uh those are just one of those things that most wildfires are started by somebody who just doesn't know the proper way to to handle flammable materials and it just gets out mm -hmm. of hand and yeah it's probably i would probably spearhead some sort of education on that and yeah, that's a big thing on the west coast power to my state being on fire because of 13 year olds playing with fireworks yeah. <laughs> yeah. Teenagers. I'll say I'll just say that. <laughs> so I think that wraps up our questions from ATQ. We have a couple of questions from Twitter if I can find them. Uh at Sir Ducks a lot. Uh nice Twitter name, by the way. Mm -hmm. He asks, uh, why does Oregon's defensive line set up a yard off the line of scrimmage? I think that's schematic wise. Um he also asks, is Rich Stubler still a consultant? Um, I don't know the answer to either of those. Yeah. Um, I haven't noticed anything particular about the defensive line setting up farther away mm -hmm. from the line of scrimmage. Maybe it's so that the defensive lineman can gain momentum. Yeah, I would, I would guess that's, that's one, one way to look at it. Okay, and um, another question via Twitter is, from at Dr. Choi, uh, he asks, "Are are the receivers not getting open on deeper routes?" Um, I would I would assume they're getting open. It's just the play call directs the directs the play to another another player. So I've seen a couple of receivers getting open. So I don't think it's the issue of them getting open. It's just the the ball going elsewhere. He also asks, uh, how about a different running play for short yardage rather than Verdell off-tackle to the left? <laughs> yeah, how about that? Yes, please. Anything. Yeah. Anything would help. <laughs> if, you, if you have one, please send it in. Okay, let me see if we have any more questions. Um, oh, yes, I forget. Uh, from Should Have Been a Duck Again from Addicted to the Quack, he asks... If you could be any species of duck, what would you choose? Oh, I just saw a fun duck species uh, on my rafting trip down the Rogue River a couple weeks ago. What was the name of that? Mm -hmm. Doing a quick Google image search here. I would be a merganser, specifically <laughs> a red-breasted merganser. I think those are really cool looking with the red beaks and the red eyes and the mohawk. What duck would you be? I think I would be the American black duck or or the classic mallard. Classic mallard. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I think that wraps up our quack and answer segment. Uh, if you have any questions, please submit them to the Addicted to the Quack comments section or hit us up via Twitter on Addicted to the Quack or, or email or any other formats that you can submit questions. We thank everyone for submitting their questions for today. Thanks, guys. 
Yeah. Well, um, to wrap up our show, uh, what were your closing thoughts? Um, my clothing thoughts, clothing, clothing thoughts. Um, I'm, oh. I'm getting sad Either. that, uh, short season is leaving. Um, starting to get a little bit chilly. The mm-hmm. rain is starting to come, but I'm going to put my shorts away and pull out my, my, my sweatshirts and cardigans. It's going to be nice. Those are my, that's my clothing statements. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, it's not quite fall yet here in the south. It's still 90 degrees during the day. <laughs> so short season, still in season. <laughs> right. Um, but my my closing statements, um, another shout out to uh, my beloved Idaho Vandals beating uh, Eastern Washington University 35 to 27. Um, that's big for them. Um, EW is ranked 11th in the FCS going into this week and yeah. Idaho to step up and beat them was huge, especially after the, the uh, very public walloping they took at Penn State. Um, yeah. Go Vandals. <laughs> yeah, my closing thoughts are that um, I'm glad that the Wendell Brown is finally coming home from China because he was in a Chinese prison for being in a fight that he wasn't any part of. And he was falsely accused there. And given the Chinese judicial system is heavily slanted against, um, shall we say, foreigners, it's, um, I'm glad he's back home to his family. He was a English teacher there, so it's a... Uh, it's a, it was a very sad story, and he shouldn't have been jailed to begin with, and I'm glad he's home now. I think that's that's all we, all we have for our show today, so um, thank you, Tom, for helping me out as usual, and um, have a good weekend, everyone, and go Ducks! Go Ducks!